There's no place to escape to. This is the last oh, on the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. I tell you what, it's not a UFO episode until I'm finally at midnight 30. Good. Stone out of my mind, listening to Coast to Coast while a man screams on a broken up telephone. <laughs> I invented gel oxygen art. <laughs> like but having that, I was like, yes. I'm also, here. you know we're doing a UFO story today because the first words out of Henry's mouth, the first show, of, the first words of this show are, I'll tell you what. I tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you what, which I know what I saw. And I'll tell you what are the two most cliche sentences in ufology. I know what I saw. <laughs> Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben hanging out with Marcus and hanging out with Henry. Yeah, I'm fucking here too. I yeah. know. I usually start with you, but I started with Marcus today oh, well. because I know you have, you are ready to burst. I spoke with you yesterday on the phone. Ed Larson was over. We called Henry because I had a great idea to to start sponsoring a, bo- a battle bot. Don't bait me. And Henry, I could feel the tension in his eyeballs as he was just <laughs> so happy not to talk about UFOs for one second of the day because no. you have been doing a lot of research. I was just in the middle of reading the special operations manual from MJ-12, uh, 25 pages deep, trying to understand how to package up a UFO. <laughs> and you called me in the middle of a stream of thought. <laughs> so today, we I'm so happy to be doing a UFO series, by the way. We haven't done a UFO in way too long. The Koyami UFO crash. The Koyami UFO crash is what we're talking about. That's close. Very good. Very good. All right. So the Koyame UFO crash, also known as Mexico's Roswell, occurred in the Mexican state of Chihuahua on August 25th, 1974. Little known outside of UFO circles, the Koyame crash is particularly interesting because the case was first publicized in 1992. And yet... The details mostly match up with both videos of UFOs recently confirmed to be legit by the Navy and with testimonies of pilots who are coming forward to talk about metallic discs harassing airplanes in the sky. I am going to speak up for UAVs because when you Uh say harassing airplanes, it's not that they are (laughs) harassing airplanes. I do believe in my mind they are more fascinated Uh. and mirroring airplanes that's Much what like the paparazzi talk- said as they were chasing princess diana we're just fascinated <laughs> but they're also stalking this is the problem yeah. you're the one getting distracted by the glitz and glamour of royalty when you should be focused <laughs> on driving your car this this story though is one of those one source stories too which yeah. is we'll get into and we'll, we'll find out we'll, well we'll do a bit of a dig in but mm-hmm. the, the ufo phenomena they just love planes Absolutely. And Marcus, I just have to say, you mentioned how this story was published. Now, there's a big question no, of like. Actually, I did not say published. What? I said publicized. Publicized. Okay, because I was going to be like, published yeah. in what magazine? Yeah, because it's that's big, a big uh, difference. Flying Saucer Digest, that is real. I actually chose the word publicized very carefully okay. and did not, and made sure to not say published. As far as sources go, the vast majority of information about the Koyame crash came from a document 
called the Deneb Report, which was supposedly cobbled together using two eyewitnesses, some illegally copied documents, and one partially destroyed document. It definitely Ooh. also could have been written by someone like, let's say, our wonderful creative friend, Jared Logan. Sure. If you take him <laughs> and you strip him of all love in his life, like you take oh, away his no. family, like they leave uh -huh. him, you take away his career, he's now like living in a Motel 6. I could see someone of that intellect just slamming this into a typewriter filled yeah. with rage trying to cause as much chaos as possible. Well, that's why I keep every conversation with Jared Logan on the surface. Jared Logan and Kara Clank, two fantastic comedians and follow what they do. They're good friends of ours and great performers. They're wonderful. Indeed. A UFO researcher and former MUFON Washington, D.C. state director Elaine Douglas speculated that the report was created by employees within the government's intelligence community who put together the document through years of gathering scraps of information about the incident. From what they claim, though, the document didn't come without a cost. Although the Deneb report does not name the original whistleblower, they do say that after the illegal copying was done in 1978, four years after the crash, the illegal copier subsequently died. Oh like in office my. space. Wow. <laughs> also, why is it whenever I hear the Deneb report, I just imagine it's some father writing a report on how his children have webbed feet. It does <laughs> and sound it's just like, like, it's like, this is the Deneb report. What the hell happened here? I noticed if I go in the water, I can move incredibly fast. Well, that's because of the webbed feet. Also, I noticed the mailman. Mailman, take off your shoes. Yeah, he has webbed feet. I knew! Feet. <laughs> uh, this story is also... For me, this is one of those, you gotta have faith. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You gotta have faith. Do not because do that to him. He, whoa, <laughs> RIP. But this is one of those, like, it's in the world of Majestic 12, which we've not fully covered on last podcast and left because of the dubious nature of the documents involved. And mm -hmm. how, the, but if once you start reading through the Majestic 12 documents, it's really, really fun. And so, especially if you've got a bowl of this fucking crazy ass sativa I have from fucking Humble. Because what that does is that it allows you to really focus in on what's important here, which is the world building. But oh, yes, indeed. the Deneb document might just be as real as the Majestic 12 documents, but. You, you know, let's leave that up to the jury to decide. And I'm not the fucking judge. No, you're not. <laughs> Indeed, the audience is the jury. Let's give them some juicy tidbits to make their decision. Well, what's interesting about the Deneb report is that it was released 18 years after the event took place, which, by some estimates, would be the amount of time a person who was middle-aged and in a position of power in 1974 would take to retire. And he would therefore be more comfortable releasing the material. Uh -huh. That's why it took 18 years. Same thing with Dr. Stephen Greer. At some point, these old CIA guys have to start to see these guys as like grim reapers. When the ufologist <laughs> starts showing up at your house, you're like, I guess I am just about to die. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> Stephen Greer, by the way, I support his idea that the aliens are nice. Mm. But before we get into the crash mm. and its consequences, let's acknowledge our source. Today, it's Mexico's Roswell, the Chihuahua UFO crash by Ruben Uriarte and Noe Torres, which, you know, snakes in and out of legitimate coverage of the event and some of the wackier corners of ufology, which we will, of course, discuss later. Can I just, I have to do this. I eat Chihuahua because God. Chihuahua warrior. Huh? What? What the fuck Beverly are you talking Hills about? Chihuahua. Yeah. <laughs> I eat Chihuahua. That's the song. Like, like, I, like, oh, like my Sharona? Is it like, 
I have never once sat and watched this movie with you. Beverly I, Hills, I refuse. Beverly, Beverly Hills Chihuahua 1 and 2 uh-huh. are two of the greatest films that have ever been made. It's come up for the last nine years. Yeah. And so please, I just had to get that out. Uh-huh. So support those movies and support your local Chihuahua actors. I love to, so you have to support your Chihuahua actors because if not, they just they turn they get mean. They they start a gang in Detroit. Yeah, Wendy is very mad. She is not on auditions, and I keep saying it's a pandemic. Yeah. Now, how much stock you put into the Koyame UFO crash entirely depends on how much stock you put into anonymous sources. But in my view, the fact that this little-known 1992 report matches up with so many other legitimate recorded sightings makes this, at the very least, an interesting addition to the UFO canon. We're getting Marcus on UFOs. I think it's the mushrooms. I love this little <laughs> micro Marcus. He's so much more open-minded. I'm fucking open to the world, my friends. Yeah. Well, damn, well. <laughs> now, of course, there are some dramatic, almost cinematic elements to this story that may have been added to juice things up. And therein lies the problem with many older UFO stories. Things that may have happened are added to things that did happen. Because at the end of the day, most ufologists are just looking for a good story that's going to grab attention and set them apart from the other ufologists. They're fire in the sky, so to speak. This is why the greatest era in baseball is the steroid era. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. I want my players juiced. I've officially come full circle on all my UFOs. Lie a little. I mean, <laughs> just lie a little. Make it a good story. It's important to lie a little bit because you don't want everything to be boring. No. Th- this story tracks with a lot of other stories of ufo crashes and retrievals to mm-hmm. me what is interesting about the story is the idea that in 1974 there is such a well manicured system for retrieval of ufo crashes that it almost speaks to the fact that they've done it before right so mm-hmm. if this is entirely made up it is made up by somebody who understands how to place a ufo crash into the storyline of roswell to now to make it track but that actually requires someone to be a tremendous nerd and in 1974 <laughs> it would actually even be more difficult to do it but what, what this story to me hangs on the eyewitness accounts of the people that said that they saw it this is okay. definitely one of those stories that is very important to the the town that it happened in and they all were like i was there too i saw the i saw the planes crash into sure. each other i was there i remember we were having a hot dog fiesta with me <laughs> and martin we were having a hot dog celebration oh man i can't wait for things to open up and oh a hot dog fiesta to begin mm. <laughs> Well, you know, concerning a good story, we also bear a bit of the guilt here, because if the Koyame crash was simply a guy saw a thing and it moved and it was weird, we wouldn't be talking about it on the show today. I would. I'd talk about it for hours. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. I also would, understand it needs some, we need some acts to a story. Yeah. I will clarify what Marcus said. It wouldn't be edited out of today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> So, on August 25th, 1974, two military installations along the Texas Gulf Coast picked up an object on radar 200 miles from Corpus Christi, traveling 2,500 miles per hour towards Texas. Oh! Now, this was somewhat alarming, because the SR-71, the fastest jet still ever made, had a top speed of 2,100 miles per hour. So, whatever this thing was, it was flying faster than the fastest manned craft ever flown in the Earth's skies. Wow. 
Suddenly, though, the object being followed on radar slowed to 1,950 miles per hour while simultaneously turning and descending. Now, the craft was headed directly toward the Texas border town of Brownsville. Now, we're also going to discover this is why this UFO actually got any sort of real attention to begin with. Because this is going through one of the most well-watched borders in the world. Between the U.S.-Mexico border has a lot of different... Has a lot of different eyeballs on it. And there's a lot of people watching this also very specific chunk of the border. Like this mm-hmm. is right where all the drugs come in. So yep. you basically have the, 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 they are, this UFO is helping the cartels. Yeah. It is strange <laughs> how they, they, when you say they're watching the drugs, they, it's funny how they usher them in. Yeah. They, they like, they, they <laughs> come help in. them come, come in. in. No, come I in, think come the in. only other border that if they saw UFO, between South Korea and North Korea on the demilitarized zone, I think that would be definitive proof. Yeah. Yeah. If if we could get the Koreans together on the mutual (laughs) agreement that they both saw a UFO, that might lead to harmony. Well, from its original altitude of 75,000 feet, which, by the way, was 25,000 feet higher than an SR-71 could go, the UFO descended down to 45,000 feet, and it traveled as a blazing fireball lighting up the skies towards the Mexican state of Chihuahua. Jeez. Sweet. Yeah. Now, from what radar indicated, the craft was seemingly headed towards a mysterious region in Mexico known for UFO activity called La Zona del Silencio, or... The zone of silence. That's where my mom kept trying to put me. Yeah. (laughs) Measuring only 31 miles across, the zone of silence is so named because high levels of magnesium in the soil disrupt radios, telephones, and aircraft instruments, rendering this area of the desert an effective dead zone. And they, people put, because it's such a weird place, put people, there's a lot of stories there of like, you know, all sorts of paranormal activity. Right. Because of the radio silence, La Zona del Silencio is known by many as the Bermuda Triangle of Mexico. In fact, the Zone of Silence is just like the Bermuda Triangle located between the Tropic of Cancer and the 30th Parallel. Check your fucking globe, you fucking morons. Look at the fucking latitude line. You just, you just made your eyes bleed staring at a globe yesterday. Don't yell at me for not doing that. Become the student if you want to feel the burn. Of the master. <laughs> but besides just the radio interference, the zone of silence has also been known for generations as a hot spot for strange lights in the sky, an overabundance of meteor showers, and encounters with strange beings on the ground. It just cool. kind of sounds more like the basin in Utah where all of the Skinwalker Ranch activity happens. It's yeah. kind of that same that that same feeling where it's a it has a propensity for flaps, just yeah. like me. <laughs> I would call it a milieu of mystery. Oh, oh okay, very French. good. Did you, did you learn that from uh, that from last week's episode? What milieu? The, wor- the word milieu? No, yeah. you said that a couple of. Uh, probably about 15 years ago you said it i, <laughs> I said it last it week too yeah i pick it i pick up a lot of what you say because again <laughs> that is called having an intermediary <laughs> <laughs> well people have seen fireballs in the sky like the craft we're talking about today for years in the zone of silence and people have even seen flames rolling down the sides of mountains like as writer t.e wilson put it in an atlas obscura article Massive ignited tumbleweeds. Fuck yeah, dude. Or maybe it's just people literally uh, burning their weed crops. Could be. <laughs> no, be it's re- the desert, man. Bad place for to grow weed. Is it? It's a desert. The desert? 
Yeah, you get a little tent out there. You get your hydroponics going on, bro. You get your fucking flow going. You get some meat lamps, dude. Yeah. Either way, the zone of silence, that's the actual sex game that Mike Pence plays with his wife, Karen. Got it. Uh, they play it on Thursday. <laughs> got his he, fucking ass. Yeah. He is over. He's over. It's actually very interesting the way they do it. You mentioned hot dogs. They actually put a condom on his flaccid penis, mm-hmm. and then he looks at a series of pictures of children, and then, believe it or not, he fills the condom up, mm-hmm. and they call it sausaging. Ooh. <laughs> yes, Mike Pence, potential pedophile. It does sort of seem, to me, if I was to call that a game, in, in our house, we call that tad polling oh interesting <laughs> interesting well perhaps the oddest regular encounter that occurs in the zone of silence comes from chihuahua's top ufo investigator who is unfortunately named geraldo rivera <laughs> geraldo told atlas obscura that when people get lost in the zone they are sometimes approached by tall blonde beings who appear out of nowhere Hi. these My beings who share all the same traits as the Nordic aliens we've <gasps> spoken about in earlier episodes. Never Simply- be scared of the short, short man. <laughs> I don't know. He's always kind and he has a plan. I don't think so. <laughs> These beings simply appear and ask for water in perfect Spanish instead of offering. Then they disappear. Tengo agua. Oh my goodness. <laughs> when you Bye-bye. S- when you said no. a when you said approached by tall whites, I'm just like, are they there to give them a Spotify deal? <laughs> that might be cool. Thank you, wonderful Swedish people. And when these people ask where these Nordic aliens come from, they only point up and say, Masaya. What does that mean? Above. Yeah, man. Up beyond. Yeah, we up out of here, man. <laughs> Either above or beyond elsewhere. And then they point up and it's just been like, High-rise condos <laughs> in the middle of the desert? Oh, no, white people have come. They've ruined everything. <laughs> but as far as concrete evidence of weird shit happening in the zone of silence goes, in 1970, a five-story, seven-ton intercontinental ballistic missile launched by the United States flew hundreds of miles off course and slammed right in the middle of this relatively small area. This Man. shit, act, this happened. That is wild. Can you imagine what? just being like, you're just out there, you're like probably living in one of like the smaller border towns and then you just see an ICBM just like fucking just sticking up out of the desert like it's a <laughs> Mel Brooks movie. Yeah, like you're Joe Dirt. <laughs> Oh my god, that is horrible. I just don't like when the military loses missiles. Yeah, man. You want to put one of those. I gave, we gave you one of those little finder keys for Jerry. Yes. Like the little iPhone key things that you could find with Bluetooth. They should have those on them. You're going to want to get some trackers on those missiles. The whole thing was such a to-do that the Nazi who sent the United States to the moon, Werner von Braun, actually came out himself to investigate the crash and personally oversaw the removal of the Package. Oh my God. So you're telling me they looked at this crash site, they put their spectacles up to their noses and like, we need a Nazi for this. I, like <laughs> when this crash is so bad, we're going to need to get a Nazi for this. We need our Nazi for this. Versus wow. Rom was our Nazi. He was the guy who fucking sent us to the moon. We the paid V2 good from- money for that Nazi. Yeah, from well, V2 I mean, rockets to fu- to the fucking Apollo 11, whichever one from, it was. You know, from a Nazi all the way to Jackie Gleason, what's more fun than going to the moon? <laughs> <laughs> That's a honeymooners joke. It is. But concerning the Koyame crash, once the craft passed over the zone of silence, it suddenly and mysteriously vanished from all radar screens. 
Now, about 30 minutes before the craft passed through the zone, a small civilian aircraft took off from El Paso and crossed into the Chihuahua Desert. But an hour after it took off, the airplane also disappeared from radar screens not too far away from the town of Koyame, which in turn is not too far away from Marfa, home to the mysterious Marfa lights. There's a lot of wiggity sky activity in this part of the world. And so somebody who wants to get in a private plane, because in my mind, he's got a small plane. He just, you know, careful. he broke up with Deborah <gasps> right, right before he left because no. he says, I'm going to America. I got big business deals in America. But then when he got to America, he realized, what's the point of having all this success if I don't have anybody to share it with? Aww. And he's sitting in this airport <laughs> and he's eating a burger and he's looking at his own plane. He's just like, I got to go back to Mexico. So he goes, he gets in his plane. Now he's trying to go, he's trying to bring her back. Well, he better get Deborah back after all she's done for him. I mean, honestly, because she helped build him up. Yeah. And now he's going to launch off into the stratosphere with his new wine koozies. (laughs) Wine glass koozies when he's trying to bring to America. He arrives. That's all he's trying to do. He's trying to bring his family back together. If that man was the one who invented the single serving of wine that is sold at every single liquor store, he's probably very wealthy. You might Mm -hmm. be. Now, we don't know for sure, but authors Ruben Uriarte and Noe Torres believe that the small aircraft and the fast-moving UFO crashed into each other partially due to the mountains both were flying through low visibility this comes from eyewitness testimony this is where people said that they saw a crash happen in the sky where it was like a big explosion and the one just got it just got ripped apart like the private plane just got torn to pieces all right so we have a true ufo in the unidentified sense. But then we have an, uh, do they call them IFOs? Identified flight objects? No, they call them planes. They just call them planes. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but, so is, I, I don't remember a UFO crashing into a tangible plane. Well, that's why it's Isn't technically, that interesting? it's different than the modern visitations of whatever the UAVs are, UAPs. It's different because what we're seeing is, seems to be these things, whatever the phenomena is, they are attracted to our planes. They seem to show up and they like to be like, look, we fly like you. We are like you. We yeah. are people too. And they and they dance around the planes. They're very distracting. Sure. Which is, mm-hmm. might be some, maybe more similar to what happened was the thing came in, came up next to the sky. Meanwhile, he's just been like, oh my God, is that Rick? driving that UFO. I knew I should have left Deborah alone because he gets all fucking absolutely distracted by and then crashes his own plane. Who knows? Uh, You mentioned how they're attracted to planes and this is why I've always said we got to stop putting these huge fake boobs on planes. Just get rid of it. I don't understand what we're even thinking. You don't like Flying Pamela Anderson Air. I just I'm I brought her back. Do you want to continue having UFOs attack and try to penetrate all of our planes? <laughs> well, what's interesting about this is that you know the UFOs seem to only be attracted to single pilot airplanes. They oh. never show up to commercial flights. You know, it's like if there were really UFOs attracted to airplanes all the time, then everyone who took a commercial flight will have seen five. We would have seen ten UFOs by now just, just by happened. looking out the fucking window. American Airlines pilot just has a first ever documented sight that FBI is organizing right now. We covered it on side stories. This Ooh. is absolutely true. They saw no a UFO. They saw Cigar, they saw a cigar shaped UFO. I'm here to correct the hey, great, before great. the audience comes. Great. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it is now what we're seeing is it's actually so pervasive. So many pilots have seen this activity, and it was such a uh 
embarrassing thing to come forward and talk about that everybody just stopped talking about it for many, many years. Right. And it, but it was common, especially because the U.S. Navy talks about it, is that they actually are, they love big groups of planes. It seems mm-hmm. to be they all show up and they dance and they do their presentation for entire aircraft carriers. It's really interesting. But now okay. we, the U.S. Navy has put together a whole system where they are uh, creating a more, basically a more legitimate pathway for pilots to come forward and say, I saw weird shit when I fly. Well, that was the problem is that after uh, Project Blue Book kind of went, you know, after, you know, the whole thing was just kind of put a kibosh on there for like decades. There was no channel for a pilot to report a UAV. They they called you a moron. Yeah. There was no way. And they they actually didn't say the word moron. They didn't say no. the word moron. They said uh, no, they said other words. They said mean <laughs> words. Also, Marcus, I got to give you some credit. Great fart noise. Really oh, nailed thank it. Yeah. Thank you very much. I For someone who that. doesn't like farts. Exactly. What are you talking about? I love farts. Fart man. No, you were a fart boy. They all farted on you. Yeah, yeah they tortured you with farts. Yeah, my, but, but that's still, you know, that doesn't lessen how much I love farts. Mm. I, I fart all the time. I, Batman was afraid of bats. <laughs> <laughs> he flipped it. Okay. Point made. But concerning the eyewitnesses, what's cool about that is that there is actually evidence to support that. Very recently, UFO investigators traveled to the area where the crash supposedly occurred, and they did in fact find the remains of a destroyed civilian aircraft in the desert. Awesome. But while we don't know exactly what happened, it can be reasonably assumed that the civilian aircraft was shredded by the UFO, killing the pilot, and the UFO allegedly crashed into the ground, unable to relaunch. But while the Mexicans were discussing all of this activity over unsecured channels while planning recovery operations, the Americans were sitting across the border monitoring every radio communication and making plans of their own. See, the Mexican agencies have postponed rescue and recovery operations until the next morning because all this happened in very rocky terrain. And while they waited, the American agencies began gathering assets at Fort Bliss in El Paso. Oh... But even so, when daylight came, the Mexican authorities were there first. They began scanning the ground from the air, and by 10.30 a.m., they found both the wreckage of the civilian aircraft and a second silvery craft damaged but still in one piece. Yeah, this is one of those, cool. like, with that huge truck you have, with yeah. the, like, if you ever do have an accident with a Prius, it's like yeah. that <laughs> shit where it's just like the fucking, the, the pilot, the, the plane has been turned into sprinkles. Like, it is just destroyed <laughs> right. and ripped yeah. up. But then, like, the UFO is sitting fine with just a dent in it right next to it. <laughs> wow. But once a recovery team member announced over the radio that a circular silver metallic object had been found completely intact, a voice was heard to say that radio silence was thereafter in effect. According to authors Uriarty and Torres, it's entirely possible that CIA Director William Colby had by this point called President Gerald Ford to apprise him of the situation south of the border. Definitely. And it's always so difficult to call President Ford. You can never hear him over the screams of him falling downstairs. I can't and believe it's always just like, oh my God, he's always stubbing his foot. The joke. I can't believe the audience has absolutely no <laughs> clue. Everyone uh, knows Gerald Ford, he was actually very athletic, but he fell down the stairs of, uh, of the plane and then everyone made fun of him. Chevy Chase made yeah. fun of him. What are you talking about? Nobody knows that. Yeah. In 1975. <laughs> That's a funny well, joke today, too, because well, Biden just it, fell upstairs. Exactly. That's He's what an we're old educating, man. We're educating the audience on the fact that presidents falling downstairs is a long American tradition. And we love to watch it and everybody makes a big deal out of it. 
<laughs> so you guys have just proven me correct. But Chevy Chase didn't even do a Gerald Ford impression. He just fell down. That was his impression, Henry. It, it was abstract. I can't believe that you're actually doing what you did during your SNL audition on this show right now. <laughs> I, I really do wonder why Lauren was like, can you just get rid of him as you scream? And here's another thing. <laughs> Gumby can't talk. All right. Can you just can you get this actor out of here, please? Well, a little known fact is that in 1966, back when Gerald Ford was House Minority Leader, he proposed that Congress should thoroughly investigate the rash of reported sightings of unidentified flying objects in southern Michigan, Ford's home turf. This call to investigate was in direct response to the infamous swamp gas explanation for UFO sightings made by legendary ufologist J. Allen Hynek, which was, as we all know, a comment that Hynek later regretted. Mm. Nevertheless, Ford described Hynek's remarks as flippant, and based off his own concerns and the concerns of his constituents, he demanded a more robust investigation. I want more flashlights. <laughs> we need flashlights on this situation. Now you're doing an impression of Gerald Ford? <laughs> and you have the audacity to criticize me? My name is Gerald Ford. I'm crazy. <laughs> it's not even a good impression of Gerald Ford. My God, big old head. I got but, long hands. <laughs> you know what? Man, towards what, the you end, you you try it on. You try, try a Ford impersonation. I did not have sex with that. <laughs> With that uh, woman, perfect. Monica Lewinsky. Uh, that was. That, I'm so sorry. That was actually my Richard Nixon. <laughs> What's strange, though, is that as soon as Ford became president in 1974, less than a month before the Kayame crash, his enthusiasm for UFOs suddenly vanished. Oh, puppet masters think yeah. they are the ones at the top of the rope, but it turns out sometimes the puppet masters are puppets themselves. Absolutely. Mm. Uriarte and Torres speculate that the evidence gathered from the Koyame crash changed Ford's viewpoint from total transparency to believing the Americans just couldn't handle the truth. Because as we're going to find out, disturbing things did allegedly occur or you know in the fabled fantasy world if majestic 12 was real then like vanover bush as a robot showed up to his fucking <laughs> office and was just been like listen gerald love that you fall down we all laugh at it but listen jerry chase is nailing you every week you gotta believe we all love it down to the office but listen we do the ufo investigations around here because we're the only ones who can handle it and i should know because i'm a robot clone oh. and then gerald ford's like oh that wouldn't be prudent <laughs> absolutely nailed it again but regardless of Ford's opinion on the matter, it was reported that the CIA immediately began forming a recovery team of their own upon hearing that a silver craft of unknown origin had been found across the border. Now, the speed in which this team was assembled, including the equipment they had on hand, suggests that either government agencies have been rehearsing this exercise in anticipation of such an event or that they'd done this sort of thing before. Three Ooh. words for you fucking rubes. Project Moon <laughs> Dust. <laughs> what the? I tried looking up shit about Project Moon Dust last night. I didn't find much of anything. Uh, did you not read the three-page article in Bibliotechia Pleiades? You fucking, <laughs> I, have we lost the plot here? Henry, again, can you stop doing your SNL audition on the show? <laughs> we know. Project Moondust is a program. There is some 
tracking to Project Mundus, which is this idea that there is there was a group that their jobs were to go and pick up fallen space objects. Ah. So a part of what they were supposed to do was they, yeah, they were supposed to go wrangle when we had things that when we satellites would fall from space or like chunks of the shuttle. Cause now this is sure. after the moon landing, when things would fall, they would send guys to go get it. Right. But then mm-hmm. one of the ideas were, what if we also do, if there's like an inner game where we go chase when the Soviets are doing it or when the Chinese are doing it, we go and try to steal and get their fallen shit from the sky yeah. first so we could possibly steal technology from them. But maybe that's not the only things that they were finding. Oh, because mm-hmm. what Mundus. you just said was kind of plausible, but now you're going to start talking. <laughs> oh, <more. laughs> gotcha. okay. <laughs> okay, that's the seed of truth that you planted. <laughs> but Project Moondust might have been one of those things that was, it was active at the time and so they did have a contingency for when things fell from the sky like and they mm-hmm. made it quote unquote legit maybe they did purposely put it on the books so it was a thing that they can do outwardly but then you know but they had secret things oh forget it you know the yeah. only difference between me and you i made these look good we've been doing <laughs> it <laughs> project moon dust though i think was less attractive okay well, MUFON Washington, D.C. State Director Elaine Douglas told Uriarty and Torres that she actually spoke <gasps> to one of the people that were involved in this particular unit. Okay. She said that years before the Deneb report was released, a former military man contacted her with information that implied that the United States government absolutely had UFO recovery teams. Mm. Oh, This man said that while he was in the military, he was with a unit whose sole function was to infiltrate foreign countries, perform a task, and get out quickly without the foreign government knowing that they'd been there. You know how I do that? How? I am one of those guys who paints himself like a statue and hangs out in front of the mall. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody cares about me. Mommy, mommy, why does all that statue have hair? How does a statue have hair, mom? (laughs) Just try to believe in something, child. (laughs) (laughs) No, if UFOs, whatever they are, if they have indeed been crashing into the earth for decades, then it makes all the sense in the world that we'd have recovery teams to get there first. Because you better be goddamn sure that the Ruskies had something similar, what with mm-hmm. all the potential alien technology up for grabs. But it actually makes sense with knowing that there is a legit arm to this, right? That they yeah. do need to go try to steal other space projects from other countries. So why mm-hmm. wouldn't they, if something like this shows up? And there's a lot of speak these days about more and more mm-hmm. people talking about how the U.S. government has got something under a tarp somewhere. That is the yeah. big buzz in the UFO communities. I, I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's been this way since fucking and, 1948, but it is the there are they are now really saying that someone is going to say <laughs> listen someone is going to say that they have something they don't know what it is in a hangar somewhere and i'm fairly wow. certain to henry's point and i know marcus you know this as well the movie black hawk down that entire scenario that led to multiple deaths their entire mission was just to explode the helicopter that had crashed in order mm-hmm. to make sure that the enemy did not get the information mm-hmm. on said helicopter so that is mm-hmm. extremely serious those are big time missions yeah man But concerning the Elaine Douglas source, this guy claimed to have been a part of a unit stationed in the United States, meaning their job was to infiltrate Mexico and Canada. And this man further claimed that there were several such teams in readiness at all times. And you can tell I'm serious because of my collection of ponchos and this moose costume. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, we have like mind meld because I was like, can you imagine the racial stereotypes they both dressed as? The one going undercover in Mexico and the one going to Canada. 
The oddest thing he told her, though, was that the team had a standing order to never return with any bodies, human or extraterrestrial. In Douglas's view, this implied that the government already had a whole pile of alien bodies and that the recovery of bodies as opposed to say technology was no longer a priority i unfortunately say that's where that is horseshit because even within their own world if you even take the time to read this special operations Uh manual you will see the whole point is secure bodies as soon as humanly possible they want the bodies ebes are not only supposed to be met and and contained they're also supposed to be you're not supposed to fuck with their breathing apparatuses if they need them you're not supposed to fuck with anything you're actually supposed to put them in a comfortable environment where they're supposed to be and you're supposed to bring them food and drink like you are a personal assistant at caa all right so Um, unlike every no most people are not level eight nerds what's what's an ede EBE. EBE? What's extraterrestrial biological entity how did you Uh ever fucking think that anyone would know that (laughs) You've done the reading. (laughs) Henry, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. When exactly was this manual written? 1996. I mean, no. Oh, no. It was written in 1954, and it was only just discovered in 1996. And there's no way anybody could make this up. I'm looking at this document right now. No, no, but to, to my point is that you say that this was written in 1954. Well... The Koyame crash happened in 1974, meaning that they had 20 years of alien bodies, meaning that, yes, indeed, it could have been a standing order to no longer recover alien bodies. You, sir, are 20 years too late. I am going to fight you on this fake thing for the next several days. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when American agencies first became aware of the Koyame crash, they contacted the Mexican government saying, hey, we heard there was some weird shit going down and we'd love to assist because the crashed civilian craft had originated from El Paso. But the Mexican agencies professed ignorance about the second craft and said they didn't need any help because nothing out of the ordinary had happened. Oh, I uh, I could see the hesitancy because, yeah. you know, it comes down to it. A UFO lands in Mexico. You're the Mexican agencies. Right now, you, the USA have, you know, they, we just offer our help. Yeah. Just, we offer our help. We have so it, many peace it, missions that we run. Yeah, and so you have this thing that you know that USA like has maybe done like we 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 like our UFOs to be ours. You right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We want to go get them, and so they know that maybe something's happening over there. So first of all, the Mexican government maybe a little bit like I don't want to necessarily tell them immediately because then they send their little helpy helpertons yeah. over here to come get it, or they maybe want to set up a sale because that's one of those other weird mm. stories. Sure. Like weird side things that people talk about when it comes to foreign UFO crashes. Because the USA might have have it be known amongst covert circles that we do take these things very seriously, which we now are discovering, especially with things like ATIP and all, the, all of those revelations coming out, that we have taken this shit very seriously in the past and continue to do so, that they also know we pay good money to yeah. take that off your hands. I don't know if I want my government spending our hard-earned ta- tax dollars on like their version of like NECA action figures, which I assume <laughs> is just collecting airlines, uh, different UFOs. But you know what? Now that I think about it, even if you're going to spend money, spend it on finding a bunch of fun knickknacks from space. Robert Bigelow. Why not? Yeah, man. I mean, sure. I would so much rather my fucking tax dollars go to buying UFOs that we can all look at and enjoy instead yes. of fucking drones. 
I just yeah. want to know if there is anyone in the CIA that looks exactly like Ignatius from Confederacy of Dunces. If mm-hmm. so, we know for a fact they're buying UFO shit. Oh, well, definitely. <laughs> they have a couple of arts parts somewhere in their they apartment. They have to. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, a convoy of Mexican military vehicles carrying 24 soldiers on flatbed trucks and jeeps had arrived at the crash site, and they'd already begun gathering the wreckage of the civilian craft. At the same time, they also approached the silver disc. (gasps) By accounts, it was shiny and metal, equally convex on both the upper and lower surfaces, and it had no apparent doors, windows, lights, means of propulsion, or markings. The best description was that it was 16 feet, 5 inches in diameter, less than 5 feet thick, and 1,500 pounds in weight, which, unless the pilots were tiny, tiny boys, (laughs) suggests that this craft was some sort of drone. You don't call them tiny boys. They are thousands of years old, and they are tiny. Well, now, technically, (laughs) and this is actually, I think I'm about to make a point. Aliens (laughs) would be taller because they don't have gravity. So well, why wouldn't so would they be tiny well, aliens? It depends. That all, de- that all depends on how long those aliens have spent in uh, orbit in in zero gravity situations. If they would have been raised in zero gravity situations uh, and would have spent their entire lives in zero gravity situations, then yes, you would be correct. They would be much taller. But if they would have grown up on say you know Zeta Reticuli and then gotten on a spaceship and flown over to Earth, then they would be whatever the normal size of yeah. Zeta Reticulans would be. If they have same Earth level gravity, they would be the same size as us. As they. If, we, if they had Earth level gravity, they would be right. the same size as us. But also, are are they even foreign? Because if we talk to certain grades, now we're in nuts and bolts UFO world, right? If they are mm-hmm. actual biological things from another hard rock planet, and I'm talking about where Sly Stone wants to be. Whoa, that's fun. Um, but <laughs> if they, uh, I'm stupid. Uh, but what if the greys were in fact also time traveling human beings or they Mm -hmm. are human beings from our far future or they were just like us many 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 moons ago and now they are like that they are these weird little grey things I wish I had a time machine to go back 45 seconds and never say what I said to spring that conversation. I'm the one who invented it. All right, very interesting. And improving and building on Henry's point is that if, you know, the whole climate situation goes the same way that it's been going, if we don't fix anything, then we are eventually going to have to live underground for a period of time. And if we become underground mole people for, say, two, three, four hundred years while all the shit up in the air gets worked out, then we would be smaller. We would be much tinier. Yes. So there we are. I'm going to hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the only distinguishing features on the UFO were two areas of damage on the outer rim of the saucer. One was an irregular hole about 12 inches in diameter with the material around the hole being caved inward as Hmm. if it was punctured by something, perhaps the landing gear of a single engine airplane. The other point of damage was a two foot wide dent in the shiny metal surface, which obviously came from the craft plowing straight through the aircraft while traveling at least 1200 miles per hour. Just fucking blowing up the dude. And, And guess what? No one's asked a question about the people that were in that plane um, and how they were exploded. Uh, and they just <laughs> yeah. kind of went into into an unknown past and no the one's asked any sort of questions about them because that man got turned into confetti oh, and yeah. they just they just rolled on and Deborah is still sitting there oh, knowing man. that she's like, I guess you didn't know because also, number one, she never saw the wine koozie come out. No. So she figured out, well, maybe he just lost all his money gambling because he always had that prop and he was always running off. Right. And yeah. you know, and like in that plane of his, he thought he was so free. Well, he, he could go anywhere he wanted on that plane. He's like, 
the bird. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she just got to sit there in Mexico. I mean, hopefully you live in her life. Hopefully, hopefully find in love. A tragedy here, though, was that the men examining the aircraft and the men who loaded it on the back of the flatbed were wearing no protective gear, <gasps> no suits, no masks, and no gloves. And it soon became clear that this was an extraordinarily bad idea. Hey, it's Paco! Hey, Paco! You want to lick a UFO? <laughs> I would love to. Yeah, man. Yeah, I do. I know. It sounds like the Cabo Wabo army with like sergeant. <laughs> yeah, it's just, not just in uniforms. They were wearing cargo shorts and Hawaiian yeah. shirts. And they're yeah. there. The, technically, they were looking for a good time. And all they found was. Nothing, Nothing but trouble. But trouble. <laughs> you can just see Fuck Sammy it. Hagar screaming yeah. commands. <laughs> Sergeant Hagar on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time that the Mexican team was loading up the UFO, three Huey helicopters and a giant helicopter known as a Sea Stallion Ooh. were preparing to take off from Fort Bliss. Now, at this point, the various government agencies involved, namely the CIA, the Army, and most likely the Air Force, had to make a decision as to whether they would leave the craft with Mexican authorities or simply take it from them. Okay, how about this? Let's play a game of war. Whoever wins, <laughs> we'll, we'll decide. Be like, yeah. okay, here we go, here we go. Uh, I win. What do you think we should do? I mean, we all know we're going to go blow it up, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. hey, it was a waste of an afternoon. But as this decision was being debated, forces outside of their control made the decision for them. See, recon satellite photos revealed that the convoy carrying the UFO had stopped in the middle of the desert and had not moved for several hours. When the photos were given a closer look, it was discovered that several of the vehicle doors were open <gasps> and two human bodies were laying on the ground outside. Do they do a thing called desert angels? Are they making mm -hmm. desert sand angels? could be. <laughs> So, the Americans decided to deploy their teams, recover the artifacts, and neutralize any possible threats. Oh my god, they're like Marvin the Martian. <laughs> I think that that was always the plan. Yeah. Yeah. So, the Hueys and the Sea Stallion crossed the border, and when the team they carried arrived dressed head to toe in protective gear, they discovered that the entire convoy of 24 Mexican soldiers was stone dead this oh is my mine. god it's that, an, and that's 100 percent true no i'm not gonna say it's i'm not gonna say with you guys i'm lying to me all day <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm not, you are doubting the deneb report no, no i'm I, not i didn't no i'm not lying to you i'm just saying that it, i can't tell you that it's a hundred percent true can i get a 51 percent simple majority uh, hey. Oh my God! It's not even <laughs> passing the Senate. I can give you a forty percent because there is a little bit of evidence for this, just a little bit, which they I'll did, get to later. They All did right. try to put their names of the dead soldiers on Wikipedia, but then they pulled it off. I see. Yeah. Um, because there was technically no proof. Oh. <laughs> now, as to the cause of death, we naturally have no idea, but we can speculate. It could be that some sort of chemical was released from the disc as a result of the damage, and the convoy was exposed to it during recovery and transport like some kind of supercharged version of a carbon monoxide leak. Hmm. Or it could be that some sort of microbial agent was released through the hole, like a kind of reverse War of the Worlds. Which is why hmm. you're supposed hmm. to show up in full safety gear. Like that's yeah. what they say. If, this, if the first thing it says is the special operations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're supposed to show up. 
with hazmat suits on because you know was going to come out of a down craft. I mm-hmm. agree, Henry. But no matter what killed him, it killed them quickly. Because while two soldiers had managed to get out of the vehicles, the rest had only managed to open doors before they slumped over and died. Like it wasn't any sort of, it, like that's why I kind of compare it to a carbon monoxide leak. Because it really wasn't any, like they weren't choking and bleeding. They just sort of died. You well, know? I mean, we didn't look at them. You don't actually don't know because their whole intestines could have been turned into a fucking shit. You know what I mean? Like what Ebola does. Like their whole insides could literally be filled with liquid shit. But if you do that, liquid shit starts coming out of all your orifices. Unless it only starts in your downstairs parts and it doesn't actually get all the way up to your upstairs parts. What if they're mildly sanitary people not full of their own excrement? I mean, I'm talking about your <laughs> intestines literally turn into poop. Well, it's... <laughs> All right. This is a fake disease. I don't know. I'm, lis- I'm listening. Now remember, <laughs> Elaine Douglas, MUFON Washington, D.C. State Director, said that years before hearing about the Koyame crash, her military source said that his unit had standing orders to never return with a body. And that's exactly the directive that this team followed with the Mexican convoy. The bodies were left where they were, and the convoy mm. itself was allegedly destroyed using an MK-54 SADM, which is the so-called suitcase nuke developed by the United States during the Cold War. This is where I'm going to put, I'm going to say it does sound a little like over the top because <laughs> it feels like to, it feels like if we did nuke Mexico, we'd know. I also like we actually s- have nuked Mexico a fair amount of times in the past wow. by accident by wow. accident yeah because we mm, we stood yeah <laughs> yeah because we uh, you know did so many tests uh, kind of near the border mm. uh, that yeah a couple of them went and uh, over the border and then exploded over there but thankfully no one uh, that uh, w- was publicized got mm, hurt good good you know it's just yeah. if you have to be a nuclear weapon it's just so shitty to be the suitcase nuke going to work every day 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. <laughs> just like constantly just like buttoned up and freaking sick of this boring. office nuke life. I hate this I want to be like an ICBM nuke man up yeah. in the sky well, I mean, it was more accurately a backpack nuke, um, oh. but it was never proved that we actually were able to put to ma- like the suitcase nuke was more like a Cold War spy novel uh, concept. It was more like a back a, a nuke that a, one man could carry in a backpack to blow up something um, smaller, like 70 kilo, 70 kilotons, I think. or something. Oh, like yeah, that. yeah. Not, like maybe a not Nickelback yet. concert. We're getting back to normal. I don't want yeah. jokes about that right now. <laughs> also, I think I can speak for all three of us. Spycraft, very good show. If you want to learn a little bit more about the CIA or the uh, KGB, there's a lot of different yeah, stories talked about. It's mm-hmm. like a fun version of like, oh, Russians are evil, but <laughs> Americans are, are perfect. We've never done <laughs> any a, of what the Russians I think do. It, I think it puts a mirror up to what we've done a little bit. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. It is and it's five, I think it's five kilotons, not 70. 70 is pretty big. Okay. Oh. Now, so to support this nuclear claim, the same UFO investigators who found the aircraft wreckage also found a man-made hole nearby that they dubbed the mystery pit. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh my God. And, and wouldn't you believe it? Green Day is performing this Saturday <laughs> at the mystery pit. Technically, that's what Joseph Callinger did. Oh, my God. That's very true. When the mystery pit was surrounded by rusted metal parts of various sizes that could have come from destroyed vehicles. Oh, that's like one of those recycled playgrounds. Interesting. Yeah. 
Furthermore, they also found remnants of lighting fixtures that could have come from the sort of portable outdoor lighting rigs used in military operations. And the bottom of the mystery pit had levels of radioactivity eight times higher than normal. Hmm. But didn't it, was there not what I had read was that this area is also rich in uranium. The um, mountains are rich in uranium. Yes. Yeah, so there is stores of natural uranium, which is also a hot spot, creates hot spots for UFOs. Mm. There was like mm. one story that I was reading about. If you look, it was on, on fucking uh, released from the CIA papers, that big UFO document upload that they did mm-hmm. to show just how transparent they are. That was um, <laughs> the Belgian Congo uh, uranium mines actually had several uh, UFO. Mm. They had a lot of UFO activity and uranium and UFOs are weirdly tied together. All right. Mm-hmm. Question then, are they here to mine our natural resources? It might just be they literally glow and they, they have a presence. They they degrade, right? They, yeah. The uranium shoots off energy so they could just be attracted to it. Okay. Yeah. And there's also, you know, the theory that all of these crafts started appearing around the time that we uh, got access, around the time that we started splitting the atom. We start uh, jumping it- up to the next level in the chain, dude. Yeah, okay. start ringing a doorbell for the fucking Intergalactic Council. We'll mm-hmm. fucking get into this. We have an episode plan where we're going to get into the Intergalactic Council and we're going to meet members of the Intergalactic Council because I guess you know where half of it, you know where they meet? Where? North Hollywood. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Now, according to UFO crash expert BJ Booth, who died in 2019 at the tender age of 71, the oh. SADM would have made perfect sense for this type of operation because they needed to eliminate both the contagion, if there was a contagion, mm-hmm. and all evidence of recovery. Eliminate the contagion eliminate. or I mean, contain tw- and use the contagion, which I'm going to get into a little bit later in the episode. If all of this holds up to be true, though, 24 people are mysteriously dead. Yes. You do have something you have to address. Of course. Mm. Well, I don't know. They're all military men. So you can just say they all died during an exercise, like an accident, something like that. That happens all the time. Yeah. Like when my uncle died doing jumping jacks. Yeah. Or that one director <laughs> who was really good. I think the director of blow Ted Demi. He mm. died from blood basketball. Never move. Mm. Stop moving. But then again, that's also how you die. <laughs> what are we going to do here? It's John. <laughs> no, because John no, I think it's Jonathan Demi. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He also did. Uh, didn't he also do uh, the uh, stop making sense? Talking heads. You might be right. All I know is he died while playing basketball because he was overweight. (laughs) (laughs) Now, because exposure to this UFO had ostensibly killed 24 men within a relatively short period of time, it was not immediately taken to an Air Force base after the Sea Stallion carried it to American soil, as is alleged normal procedure. Mm. Instead, the UFO was taken to a classified location near Atlanta, Georgia, by truck convoy using back roads and smaller highways to ensure that the possibly contaminated craft didn't drive through any cities or highly populated areas. Wow. And not to be confused with Jeff the Talking Mongoose, honk, honk. This would be a honk, honk, because it's a convoy. I know. Every single time it says convoy, I just want to go convoy. I mean, my father was a truck driver, and I got to tell you, when you do the fist pump to the trucker, they love it, and they'll give you a honk, honk. I do it to my garbage man. (laughs) <laughs> like yes. I am a giant mentally handicapped person. I literally come outside of my house. No, I do, do the I do the pull. Of course. <laughs> they love it. I don't know if they do. They love it. They give me the honk. Well, the thing about this, you know, them just fucking driving on all these back roads. They were fucking driving this shit 30 miles from where I grew up. 
If it was contaminated, they would have had a trail of death. They would have killed Snyder, Roby, Anson, Albany, Breckenridge, looters. Are those people? Gone are those, off of the map. Wait a second. Are those people or cities? Because I got to meet your friend looters. And no. the name is looters. You can figure out why. I hope everything is nailed down in your house. <laughs> <laughs> no, looters. I lived in looters when I was a kid. Like there's when I was a town like, called looters. Looters yeah. sounds like one of those gas station restaurants <sighs> where it's you can eat as much as you can steal. Marcus, <laughs> how many times did you say in the sentence, "You ain't from around here"? <laughs> none. I wouldn't. None of those. I wouldn't one of those guys. Oh, that's nice. No, never ever. It was like, oh my god, I don't know your face like the back of my fucking hand. I haven't been seeing you every goddamn day of my life for Please the last fifteen get, fucking years. Fucking Who get are me you? Out of what is your name? Tell me. Where do you go? <laughs> Oh, take me with you. <laughs> no, all these have my brother used to live in Snyder. I got family in Breckenridge. They would have wiped out all of us. And you know what? It would have even killed the fucking folk monster. Wow. It was driving. Wow. It would have gone right through stamps. <laughs> wow. wow. And stamps has been ruined since the, the USPS has really been oh absolutely my. felled in the last year. Uh, wow. But no, they wrapped it up. Dog meat. This is the mm. thing is that now that the U.S. and their team has gotten involved, they know how to hygienically wrap it up. They also know, and this is true, they, they it's in the special <laughs> operations manual. I'm sure it is. You're supposed to let a UFO air out. <laughs> Well, yes, of course you do, because if it is uh, venting highly dangerous chemicals, you want it to vent all of the highly dangerous chemicals, or at least vent enough where it is no longer concentrated enough uh, to kill anyone who happens to come into contact with it. It makes sense. It uh, makes that all the sense. You got to make let, let a car run out of gas. Especially not, if you're if you're not used to pure gelled oxygen and its <laughs> benefits in high G situations, it might you might be a human. Okay. <laughs> all right. I believe it. Well, the reason why the UFO was taken to Atlanta is because Atlanta is the home of the center of disease control. Uh, yeah. And if a lethal biological agent was present, the CDC would be the place to discover exactly what it was. And if we could use it. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Interesting. I didn't know Atlanta was the home of the CDC. Oh, you didn't oh, know that? Yeah. I did yeah. not know that. No. Do you, I remember yeah. when I was in Atlanta shooting Pretty Face and the guy, you remember when the, that one guy got off the plane with Ebola? Yes. Um, yeah. The, 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 and he, he was went shipped. all around Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. But then they shipped him to Atlanta in a bubble. And I remember <laughs> when he arrived, they shut, <laughs> they shut all the highways down and this dude like, Talk about feeling for like a star for a day <laughs> when yeah. you're just sitting inside your truck bubble as you arrive at the CDC. And it's so nice because they probably ask you, do you want a Starbucks or something? I'm sure. <laughs> absolutely. But after running extensive tests, the CDC declared that the UFO was no longer dangerous. And it was surmised that most likely the Mexican soldiers died as a result of toxic chemicals venting from the crashed vehicle. But what's interesting about this UFO and the CDC is that UFO researcher Ryan Wood uncovered a one-page memo from May of 1950 suggesting that the British Ministry of Defense had considered weaponizing biological material retrieved from a UFO, should they find one. This is one of the okay. main aims of the Majestic 12 group, was not only were they supposed to contain and figure out what the UFO situation was, a UFO problem, 
is, as that they were also supposed to begin the first strings of how do we retroactively build technology from this UFO bullshit that we're finding. And right. that one of the top tier things in the in MJ-12 was how do we develop bioweapons from alien viruses, mm, uh, right. with, like that kind of shit. Uh, and Ryan Wood does a very impassioned episode of Coast to Coast AM. <laughs> he is in charge of the MJ-12 documents. That is like what him and his dad do for fun. They oh, authenticate MJ-12 nice. documents. Right. And that uh, that argument between him and the man who claimed to invented gel oxygen, while he's also being like, well, if you look at page 74 of the MJ-12, <laughs> and it's like, they're both making shit up. Yeah. It's like Robin Williams <laughs> and that and and fucking James uh, Lipton. Yeah, there's fire in it all. And also <laughs> inside the actor's studio. Interesting. They mm. also were able to get the technology for Hot Pockets after they reverse engineered what they found yeah. in Mexico. Interesting. The, crisp, the mm. crisping sleeve. It's quite that ingenious. Is, it is ingenious. And honestly, if you cover that crisping sleeve in lube, you can fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can. Well, Wood yeah. also found documents that discussed the lethal contamination of four lab techs who died after handling debris and bodies from a UFO crash without proper protection. Oh. According to those documents, the technicians died a horrible death of seizures and pressurized bleeding from every orifice oh. after coming into contact with bodily fluids from UFO occupants. Oh. But also, that is a very common... There, There is a common through line of people getting sick after being inside of UFOs and outside of UFOs or meeting, uh, having close encounters and whatever shitting the experience blood. is, shitting <laughs> blood, massive crazy diarrhea. The oh. Cash Landrum incident is another story about a family that got abducted in their car and it was like a mom, uh, uh, heard the grandma and a little kid and they got abducted and then released and then when they came back they were all just shitting and they mm -hmm. all got sunburnt. They were all yeah. like, so it felt like low level radiation poisoning. Interesting. Mm -hmm. But this information came from a Majestic 12 document. Mm -hmm. as, and as any serious student of ufology knows, <laughs> Majestic 12 documents are suspect to say the least. Well, now they are very much so. Uh, I am now of the mind that whatever it is is real in them has been absolutely taken over by some form of that is a psyop okay for yeah. certain i think majestic 12 is is definitely a psyop uh yeah. that they used but but it's also weird because now we are seeing well there has been inside groups within the pentagon they have been operating uh, without the president's consent or the president's knowledge for years There's, they, yeah. they do do it but i don't oh, know sure. if, if there was a group called majestic 12 all right mm-hmm so after the CDC released the UFO without finding any contaminant, it was supposedly convoyed back to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which is the same base where the Roswell wreckage was allegedly taken in 1947. But as far as evidence goes for this entire saga, there's very little. Of course, outside of people who saw a thing in the sky. The other evidence is circumstantial. You know, you got the radioactive mystery pit and the wreckage of the plane. Doesn't necessarily prove anything, but it does strengthen the case a little bit. Really, most of the information came in 1992, when a document called the Deneb Report began appearing on UFO bulletin boards on the internet. Back when the internet was, of course, mostly academics, drug dealers, sci-fi nerds, and ufologists. The good uh, old days. Yeah, that's a, that's a fancy way of saying perfect. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, the Deneb report was eventually printed out and sent to UFO researchers. And in the summer of 1993, it found its way anonymously to the <gasps> mailbox of MUFON Washington, D.C. State Director Elaine Douglas, who at the time was an officer for the Washington, D.C. UFO group Operation Right to Know. And she looked at it and she did the, we got one! And hit the alarm. <laughs> Very Ghostbusters-esque. Also, um, slam your beer if you're surprised that was a woman that received the <laughs> right? I don't think that's the first woman's name we've ever mentioned with MUFA. I'm yeah. very happy for them. And not, not only anymore. a woman, and not only a woman, Elaine Douglas was also like an M- MIT graduate. Like she was a very highly respected, like a very accomplished person. Wow. Yes. But yeah. this, this came out and I wonder, if, I wonder if this came from the same Kinko's that Bill Cooper did his work at like how you remember how that was the whole thing where they yes. left the plans in the in the fucking <laughs> yeah. the copier it's the, it's always these these printing places we have to start looking into these printing places yeah because they yes. have everyone's secrets so that guy that 17 year old that looks at you like your shit when you're trying to like print mm-hmm. out pictures of your mom because you're trying to come up with some kind of last minute desperate emotional christmas gift they know everything about you what mm-hmm. level of meth insanity are you on <laughs> what? That is outside. That is a day three of doing straight up Christmas. <laughs> we gotta look into these kinkos. Read MJ twelve documents. Machines. Read MJ twelve documents for three days and see where what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as far as who wrote the Deneb report, it was authored by a person going only by the name JS, which could mean joint staff, joint services joint stars or journal staff among a near infinite amount of other options. Yeah, it could be John Smith from Pocahontas. It could be Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions, the guy Mm. with the ears. Justin Simperlake. Oh, Uh, yeah. That's the new cuck, Justin Timberlake. I Mm. love Simperlake. I actually do have a bit of a theory on this. I mean, Mm. if you think the Deneb report came from one of the intelligence agencies, most likely the CIA. The CIA is, of course, a part of the deep state. What are the deep state? Mm, Pedophiles. So who is JS? I contend that it is Jimmy Savile. Holy crap. (laughs) I was going to jokingly say Jimmy Savile with no evidence to back it up. And then Marcus just came in with all the evidence to back it up. Here we go. Here's the sound of (laughs) that's my trench coat opening. Something just got exposed. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as far as the name of the report goes, Uriarty and Torres speculate that it was so named because it was written by government insiders. And it was the contention of those insiders that the source of this craft was the star Deneb. This is where it really... Joe, we're going off-roading here. Yeah. This oh, okay. is, yeah, yeah, your brain car better have good shots because this is the, okay, oh, well, I think we just ran over a bunch of cactuses. Okay, so this is where it might get out of this world. A bit. Yeah. Okay. Deneb is a supergiant star 1,630 light years away from Earth that pumps out enough light to equal 60,000 of our own suns. Ironically, often confused for a UFO due to its brightness in the night sky, Deneb is a part of the Cygnus constellation, which lies at a critical juncture in the Milky Way known as the Great Rift. And this is how you know the Deneb report is real, is because of all the very specific numbers. Right. (laughs) And it's all really coming together, because if you eat too many Milky Ways, you will get saggy. And then, of course, you're a resident of sagginess. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was Saginus was the name of it, right? Saginus. 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 Is it Saginus? I don't know. Saginus. I don't know. Mm. Now, the Great Rift has been an important part of many cultures throughout human history, yeah. with some believing that all life in the galaxy is birthed from this one place. In fact, paranormal researcher John Jenkins maintains that the Great Rift is, in effect, the Milky Way's vagina. And Jupiter <laughs> is the Milky Way's clip. Really? Oh, my God. I would say Jupiter is more of the Milky Way's dingleberry. Or one of them. <laughs> wow. I love being on the shaggy dog end of the universe. <laughs> I love the way these 12-year-olds took over astronomy and changed everything we see in the sky. I thought it was a lion before. Now I just see a perineum and an asshole and a smile. <laughs> Well, this Milky Way's vagina concept is actually related to the December 2012 theory from about a decade ago, when we all halfway believed that because the Mayan calendar was ending, the world would therefore end with it. Remember some 2012? of us halfway, yeah, some of us halfway believed, some yeah. of us prepared. Quantum <laughs> And also, if you do have a Milky Way vagina, go to the doctor. Again, we're not doctors, but if there is any milk coming out of any part of your body that is not your nose after you laugh too much after drinking said milk, Go to the doctor. Uh, hey, yeah. also, let's normalize discharge. Sure. <laughs> but if anything that's looking like caramel or nougat's coming out of there, that's you can normalize the discharge, but get that nougat checked out. <laughs> get the gym sink and it checked out. <laughs> But during the but during December of 2012, the winter solstice sun actually appeared in the middle of the Great Rift, and at that point, the Milky Way quote unquote sat on the Earth, okay. opening up the cosmic sky portal and essentially smothering our planet with its cosmic vagina. I am liking this creation tale. <laughs> I don't know. It's right where I want to be. Okay, but that's origin of the galaxy stuff. As far as aliens go, the constellation Cygnus, of which Deneb is a part, is said to be the origin of two of the five alien species that the U.S. government has observed visiting Earth. Man, this One is the thing is that the numbers are all over the place, right? Yeah. yeah. Because nowadays they're saying 13. Mm. I guess time has passed. Uh -huh, time has passed. Sure. More discoveries have been made. Mm. One of those two species are the Arqualoids. Okay. They're the beaky-nosed gray clones of the Ebons. Yep. Of course, the Ebons are Zeta Reticulan grays, correct? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Ebons. And the Ebons. And, <laughs> and the Arqualoids are clones of them, but they have beaky noses. They, they gave them so they could smell more. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> they were supposedly the aliens who met President Eisenhower at Holloman Air Force Base in 1954 when Eisenhower was reported to be at the dentist. Well, we all know Eisenhower hates the dentist absolutely <laughs> i'm not even sure if he has teeth the other species are the heplaloids of which very little is known other than one guy who insists that they're actually called heptaloids oh, but God, due to a typo one. but due to a typo they have been misnamed for decades it just doesn't matter how far you go in the galaxy there's always somebody there to correct your fucking pronunciation of bullshit Yep, <laughs> you always you got the grammar Nazis. No matter please, where, grammar, please. It's just like more pervasive than any other force in the universe. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> 
But if you really do want to get into the really weird, really specific, and most likely entirely made up side of ufology, it's speculated that the report was named because Deneb is assumed to be where alien species who visit the Earth originate. Sure. Oh. Look, looked at another way, it could be that Deneb, the contamination, the deaths of 24 Mexican soldiers, and every cinematic element of the Koyame crash was merely added on after the fact to make it a better story. It could just be that a fucking UFO crashed into an airplane and that was it. Sure. Well, that's a, still pretty big. That's yeah. a big story. But yeah. they don't. They, it's the a short is, story, though. Ah. It is a short story. And also, it doesn't allow for the room of creating these little side plots, which is mm-hmm. allow, which allows covert agencies to, to say that it's not real. But because they create all these side plots but, so that because then you have this little kernel of truth in the middle of it surrounded by bullshit. And they can just say, oh, look at the bullshit. Obviously, the center of this is also fake. Well, speaking of kernels, you eat a lot of corn. It's going to show up in your dirky. I'm going to say in this scenario that corn is the truth. Yes. Is it possible that you these large, elaborate stories... There is peppered in some truth. Yeah. And yeah, that's the how the CIA kind truth. of like, you know, because, you know, again, going back to Spycraft, they they see things different than we do. I actually, mm-hmm. that's an apt, that is an apt allegory. The idea Ooh. of corn nuggets in the poop, because mm-hmm. it's true, because they always come through and you can always see them. And you always remember, because I the best part is when you shit and then there's corn in it and you sit and look at it and be like, I remember that corn. I love that <laughs> corn. But all right. Well, I mean, that's kind of the whole point of this is that, you know, all of these wacky stories put a tarnish on the fact that these types of silvery metal craft have been seen for decades and are still being seen by credible witnesses, mostly pilots up in the air. Well, nowadays we're really seeing the cubes, cuboids with spheres in them. That is the one. And then the 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 orbs, the like the, those are types of these things they're seeing a lot. And then they are there's a lot of this like a weird ass then triangles are coming back too in a big way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, there was a pilot in Mexico named Carlos Antonio de los Santos Montiel, who just a year after the crash at Coyame encountered three UFOs while flying from Mexico City to the coastal city of Lazaro Cardenas. That guy is such a beautiful long name. You can almost oh, see yeah. him hitting people in the back of the head with his name tag as he walks by. <laughs> it, has, it actually goes past his shoulder. That's so cute. I know. Carlos claimed that he was the pilot and lone occupant of a Piper Aztec PA-24 airplane, and he had his experience on a clear day about 15,000 feet off the ground. (gasps) While flying, he said he had the sensation that something was close to the left wing. After feeling the plane vibrating, he then looked to his right and saw a dark gray disc, rat gray as he put it, with a dome on top keeping pace next to him. Suddenly, a second disc appeared on the left wing, and Carlos was not ashamed to say that it freaked him out so much, he cried a little bit. Yeah, I'd be be pretty freaked out. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Then, a third disc approached his plane head on, and just before it crashed directly into the Piper, it dropped, and the top of the UFO grazed the bottom of the plane. Carlos tried bank and left, but found that the controls on his plane wouldn't respond. Knowing he needed help, Carlos radioed air traffic controllers to say, and this is logged. He said that his aircraft was out of control and three unidentified flying objects were buzzing his plane. (laughs) Oh, fuck, man. (laughs) Meanwhile, they're just having 
having a, they're doing the like insurance scams. Have you ever seen those where it's like you get a couple of cars together and what you do is you drive somebody off the road and you, mm-hmm. you try to get them to give you their insurance information. I you scam the insurance your, company. I don't know your Polish get well quick schemes. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, then in a terrifying turn of events, one of the crafts captured Carlos's plane in a tractor beam and dragged it up to a height of 14,800 feet, oh, which is oh, <laughs> God. scary. And that's the maximum an aircraft can fly without a pressurized cockpit. Fuck me, man! It's <laughs> just shaking and shit and all these UFO d- looking over your graves and just fucking ripping bongs, just having a great time drinking Miller Lite. I'm sure it's fun as hell for the grays. But just as suddenly as the UFOs appeared, they vanished. And Carlos landed safely, reporting about the same type of aircraft recovered at Koyami, even though... The Koyami crash was never made public in Mexico. Wow. The Koyami crash is better known in America than it is in the country where it actually happened. When Uriarte and Torres tried finding witnesses in the early 2000s, they only found two willing to talk. And even they only said they saw the airplane crash, but were quickly shooed away by armed military men. Furthermore, Uriarte and Torres said that they had the impression that an unseen lid clamped down tightly in Koyame when they started asking questions. Streets emptied, businesses closed, and not a single vehicle was seen moving. It was as if the people of Koyame knew that the subject of UFOs was off limits, and most of them went to extreme lengths to avoid even the mention of the 1974 crash. Hmm. But even though some goofy bullshit got attached to Koyame, the fact remains that both the Koyame crash and the subsequent encounter of Carlos Antonio de los Santos Montiel track with sightings of UFOs that we now know to be completely legitimate. It's very interesting. Wow. You can and, just see the poor drunk tourist coming straight from Cancun, walking into a Ko- Koyami bar, being like, this is where the aliens are. And they just cut to him on a stake about to be lit on fire after the townsfolk are all I had no idea it was so serious. I should have bought more beers. No. <laughs> they uh, also had a mass group sighting uh, right after the Koyame report. Uh, right mm-hmm. after the Koyami crash, where it was during the, it was an eclipse happening. It was a be- very big deal in Mexico. And many people saw these UFOs flying around. There was a lot of UFO activity at the time. And I love this story. It's fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic But, but you story. know, there's obviously, there's holes in it. But it comes down to, if this is a story that if you believe in any of these stories, you kind of have to look at this one too. So, yeah. God, Gotcha, fuckers. <laughs> there you go, buddy. You got him compelling. Him. It is compelling and fantastic storytelling as always, Mr. Parks and Mr. Zabrowski. Yes. I cannot imagine what the phone calls were like. Marcus, you did the saints work. You did the Lord's work this week. Having to deal Thank with you. Henry scream at you I as he it. discovered the truth. I was good. <laughs> uh, also, Ryan S. Wood talking to Art Bell just brings me so back. Like, that guy is really funny, but he also, I will say, he does say some fucking dumb shit. Like, he definitely, no. like, because his whole thing was just like, I have pictures of a convoy going into S4. And Art Bell's like, well, I'd like to see some of those. And so he sent him the pictures, and Art Bell's like, yes. This is a picture of a truck. 
<laughs> but you know what? That's all he said it was going to be. That's all he said it was. So that's evidence. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully this episode expanded your mind uh, just a little bit and got you out of whatever this version of reality they're pretending that we live in God, is. The sweet, so. sweet heroin of the UFO universe is so nice. It was just Fantastic. like I felt it so deep last night. I was just listening yeah. to Coast also, to Coast playing Valheim. Like I, just, I was just that fucking smoking a joint. I was like, this is where I need to be. Also, I mean, oh, yeah, I know man. I mean, I'm in Hollyweird over here and in no way does that mean I'm taking meetings and nor do I want to be uh, uh, involved in the Hollywood system. But more alien movies, please. They win. Yeah. More alien movies. They I want to see the aliens. They shoehorn them into stupid superhero movies now. Yeah, but yeah. I, want, I want like a classic, man. Uh, I guess yeah, I'll just have too. to go watch Sigourney Weaver in the movie Alien and be happy with that. Contact's still good. Contact mm-hmm. is good. Yeah, man, I was, just, I was just so happy this week to just settle into like real conspiracy theory again. Yeah, like the, like the raw shit, like the fucking super speculative, like just fucking alien government agencies bullshit. I loved it. Also, I miss it. That's, there that's is the some, real shit. That's the is, fucking that's a real cocaine. There's also something about the tangible paperwork, the I microfiche and the yeah. microfiche and like yeah. the actual looking through drawers and talking to people. I UFO research pre-internet era. I just mm-hmm. romanticize it because you can just see these people who, who are obviously very committed or yeah. or some of the funnest forgers in the world. If you sure. watch that yep. Netflix documentary and murder among Mormons, which is fine, but the, mostly it's just it's about fine. how like if you got a guy that's like so focused on doing forgeries, you kind of be it's crazy what they can pump out like mm-hmm. these MJ 12 documents, whatever you want to say about it, I think they're the some of the finest work of disinformation ever like you look at this stuff and you're yeah. like you could see how this put people in a tizzy Steve, poor sure. Stanton Friedman let's pour out oh. a let's pour out a mailox oh. for Stanton Friedman oh. right now because honestly the <laughs> amount of agita these documents must have given him over the years but you talk mm. about the hustle Mr. Friedman died in an airport on the way probably to speak about aliens he was and he uh, was. so that in just Toronto. shows that just shows you how committed uh, he was never stop spinning and, uh, dog and that's what you got to learn man to lay in idleness is death. Sharks have to move or they drown. Well, I like the first part, but then the second part sounds like something my uncle, who also <laughs> believes in Q, would say. Yeah. So I'll go. That was a code. I Look into it. The first part. Follow uh, the breadcrumbs. But yes, uh, yes. Just stay, keep keep moving out there. It'll help you stay alive, and we hope you're all doing okay. We have a couple of announcements. Yes. Um, number one. Uh, first of all, thank you guys for buying whatever. But we've been slinging a lot of merch. We they, got and more no shit one coming down to you. Any houses with those lighters? I had. I don't think no. so. I had a I don't very so. stone thought. I was like, um, what if that happened? But it's not gonna happen. We still got uh we still have tickets available for the Grundy County Grundy Friday County. show. So please join us outside. We cannot wait to come to you. Um two, we want to ask our wonderful listeners. We've got an amazing response from our new show, Someplace Underneath and LPN Deep Dives Dune. Absolutely. We'd like to ask you to follow them on their own individual pages on wherever you follow, follow Someplace Underneath and only on Spotify for LPN Deep Dives So follow Dune. it on Spotify. Yes, because okay. remember the word, they don't like to say subscribe or premium because they think that means it costs money, but it doesn't. You just click the follow button on the app. If you could just listen to you it know, on that account what about this idea instead of free why don't we pay 90 spot well, i'm gonna talk to spotify about paying pay them money 99 <laughs> cents and then you can just kind of get people like that 
What? Pay people. I'm just talking about bribing people. Well, we're just yeah. gonna, I'll pay. We'll pay you a dollar to follow. No, the show. don't even no. say that. Honestly, we've had great response already, but we just want to make sure that that's where you find it on their own feeds because they're coming off of the last podcast feed this week. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And thank you so much for supporting those new shows. I'm not sure if you fully understand, and uh, that would be fine if you didn't because I don't think we've ever really explained it. But that's a really big deal for us. It to really be producing is, yeah. these shows, and it's, huge. it's it's funny because a lot know, of work has gone into these shows, and I love doing my own blabby blabby. But I'll tell you one thing. I get such a satisfaction out of seeing the success of others and seeing the success of those shows. And that really, really helps us out. Um, so just support, also, support the shows. And No Dogs is now out. No Dogs in Space season 1.1 is now out. And now you know that the band that we're covering for the next five episodes is the Beastie Boys. Which is sweet oh, as hell. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very excited about this series. It's going to be yeah. great. No, yeah, first, first episode is, you know, all the, their time in the New York hardcore scene. Then we're moving on to hip hop and then Def Jam and all kinds of the alternative scene of the 90s is going to be fucking great. It's going to be a hell of a journey. You know, yeah, that's, ava- that's available wherever podcasts, wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. That's a bit of a swerve. I was not expecting Beastie Boys. I really mm. like this story. It's really, yeah, really fucking cool. Yeah, and, and also, join us on Twitch. Too, so, so we have our shows I'm on Thursday. I'm 10 and Thursday. 3. Madden versus the fans. I'm 10 and 3. He's got nice. he does Madden versus the fans. It's 5 p.m. EST, uh, 5 p.m. PST. Thursdays. On twitch.tv, last, last podcast network. And also follow me on my, as I play Civilization 6, 2.30 PST, Saturday afternoons. I am in the middle of doing domination over everything. Right now I'm playing a culture victory. Technically it's slow, but it's mm. fun. All right. Well, yes. And again, Twitch, thanks for the support on that. And the Patreon stream, Tuesdays. And the pa- All right. I, think, we we've, I think we've ambushed them enough with enough of our BS here towards the end. Thank you all so much for listening. Thanks so much for supporting everything we do here on the Last Podcast Network. Without you, we don't exist. So thanks so much. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail game. Magustalations. He's I think he just had a massive Marcus He's just died. swallowed. I swallowed some water wrong. Oh, God. I don't think we're ready to go to Mars. (laughs) We can't even swallow water yet. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.